Welcome to the first ever episode of Tale of the Tape, a Sterling College sports medicine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Drake. I'm the head athletic trainer here at Sterling College. And joining me on this podcasting adventure is the director of athletic training services, the program director of the athletic training master's program, Dr. Pete Manili. How are we doing, Pete? Great. Ready to go. Super excited about today. Me too. It's it's been a long time coming. We uh, we teased a pinned tweet, I think, on our sports medicine Twitter page on January twenty fourth. I looked the other day, so we've been building anticipation for quite a long time. We have, we have. You know, we're just trying to just build on the next avatar. You know, it's finally going to come out next December. Top Gun Maverick has been teased since spring of twenty twenty. It comes out May 27th. Buy your tickets early. Hutchison Theaters 8. Plug for them. Um, get your backstage pass. Just kidding. Just saw a movie there the other night. But, uh, yeah, you know, people are excited about it. We're excited about it. So let's do it. Yeah, we've definitely had some people ask, you know, when's it getting started? I actually had to take all of the equipment down because I had it set up in my office. I just got sick of people asking, hey, when's the first episode coming out? And knowing that our schedules were just not going to, you know, work for the probably the rest of the school year. And now here it is in May. We're finally sitting down to record. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I've I've wanted to turn these mics on for quite a long time. So um, why why did you want to start a podcast on sports medicine? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that before, just off on our own. We both like podcasts. We both have their own that we listen to, whether it's in the car, in the office, throughout the day. And, you know, PTI is mine, just two guys who are very, very different, but they'd love to talk about sports. And they debate, obviously, which you and I will not do. We'll just present information and have great, good dialogue. But, yeah, I feel like I have a lot of experience. You have a great intellectual curiosity to ask questions and and to try to develop, like you said, develop stories. And I think it's not just an athletic training podcast. As you said, it's a sports medicine podcast. So just to take the years experience that I've had, the different levels I've worked at, whether it's a high school or a clinic or collegiate sports, and put all those together. And maybe we'll get a young athlete trainer to see this as a way to build their passion for this and a person who's towards the end of their career who's an athlete trainer or coach or a parent looking back on their time can say yeah I, I can respect what those guys are talking about I can reflect and I have, I have a story I have a tale of the tape you know we don't just tape ankles it's such a small part of our job but it's a fitting title for mm-hmm. our podcast because a lot of kids just come to our athlete training room or a lot of these places and they have more than just a ankle to get taped they've got a story to tell mm-hmm. you know i'm looking forward to telling those stories and listening yeah. to others you know that we have guests on the show which is an incredible lineup we're right. excited about yeah it's a it's a all-star lineup for sure um the, just like getting this thing started nailing down a time in our schedule and in theirs to record um is is going to be the difficult part i've kind of made you the the unofficial booker of of guests just because of everybody that you know but uh our first guest you know on our on our next podcast uh episode i'm not sure when it's going to get recorded but uh 
I'm, I'm looking forward to that. We'll tease that one a little later, but yep. Yeah. yeah. Excited. We, you know, just the people that we reached out to in a very short time span, probably even over a weekend, were all excited about it. You know, mm-hmm. I've, and I think coming out of COVID, people just want to be able to connect again. And because of Zoom, people can connect. And that's yep. what we're hoping this will be. will be not a Zoom, but a almost face-to-face for you and me and the guest. And mm-hmm. we can record it, you know, put it up for people to see the video as well as the audio podcast. But, yeah, people are excited about it. I don't know why. I mean, yep. we're, we're, you know, I think we're rather entertaining to ourselves. <laughs> we'll see if the world thinks so. But, you know, we're going to have at least, you know, we're hoping for, like you said, 35 maybe on a high for listens that week, views. Um, I would imagine uh, my family or your family might be 20 of those, which is just our moms listening to it 10 times. Right. But, hey, it's still ratings. Absolutely. Well, let's dive into kind of the first segment here. And like we said, this we're both athletic trainers by trade, but this is a sports medicine podcast. So what all falls under the umbrella that is sports medicine? Yep. You know, I think a textbook sports medicine would be athlete, trainer, physician, parent, coach, athlete. And I think no matter what we talk about sports medicine – the centerpiece will always be the athletes health and safety absolutely and then everyone around that in the sports world is trying to use their expertise to help that same individual health and safety so you know beyond parents coaches you know doctors are other sports medicine they're going to be physician assistants general practitioner and doctors physical therapists sports psychologists psychologists um, podiatrists, um, nutritionists, kinesiologists, dietitian. I mean, there's just there's so many different sports medicine professionals that we want to have on here and talk mm-hmm. to them about their expertise in this team. And so the umbrella here is trying to, you know, a dentist, an eye doctor, we're just trying to get all we can to benefit our athlete. We've all got to respect what we do, but also appreciate how we're all different. It's right. gonna be really cool to hear that conversation. Right. You know, how long they go to school, their national exam, their skills assessments, you know, how they got to where they're at, you know, and when then why did you choose podiatry? Why did you choose orthopedics and more specifically sports orthopedics? I mean I think you know, I think it's it's a sports medicine umbrella. Mm-hmm. You know, is it captures all of those to protect the one underneath it. Right. Yeah, I think everybody, you know, it's 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 interesting to hear how they've got to to where they're at, to their specific career path, and and you know sometimes you you hear that people that went to med school are like chemical engineers, you know, that's their bachelor's degree, and you're like, how did you get from that to to being a orthopedic surgeon, you know? And and then I I just look back at myself and I'm like, I was literally two and a half years into a biology degree to be a veterinarian or a DOW officer. Like that was the path I wanted to go on. And then now I'm working in sports medicine, you know, like decided to make the switch. So it's, it's always interesting to hear those stories, how they got to that when their starting point was, you know, way off in the weeds. Yeah. Nothing close to sports med. No, no. And that's a, 
a cool thing about all these guests mm-hmm. is how they got to where they were and what was the you know what was that aha moment or the genesis of their you know desire to do this mm-hmm. you know and they're gonna be all different i'm looking forward to it especially just because where they're all from different areas you know um you know my story and your story will be all will be unique mm-hmm. so look, i'm looking forward to kind of flushing those out with our guests well, speaking of our stories, I think a big part of a new podcast is kind of establishing credit, right? Like, why why should anyone listen to us when it comes to sports medicine? Um, so why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where you got your start in, in sports medicine and athletic training and, and kind of how that all played out to, to get you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I tell people this all the time. I was a seventh grader, nineteen eighty seven, and where I'm from is a big football town, and I so wanted to play football, but had my limitations that were probably more my own psychology than true physical. But yeah, in seventh grade, I just I want to be a part of the team somehow, some way, and I said I'm going to be an athletic trainer. I was watching the Chiefs. Lord knows who they're playing, but I saw a guy get hurt. Somebody run out there with a fanny pack, and they took care of him. And I asked my dad, and he probably said trainer, you know. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, what is that? He goes, well, you know, at the high school they have one of those. So at my high school there was a Korean War um, veteran who was a medic in the war. He was Leo Tuxhorn. He was my first mentor. And so I got a chance to meet Leo um, and just said, hey, I'd – I don't plan on playing football or sports, but I want to be with the team. Can I be one of your student trainers at the time? And that was my start was, was there being a part of Smith center football and the other sports. I wasn't really as involved. I actually did other things with other sports, but yeah, that was kind of the beginning for me. I've, I've really known since I was a seventh grader that I've wanted to do this. Um, that took me to Barton, at the time, Barton County Community College. They've changed their name to Barton Community College, but it's in Great Bend, Kansas. It was a few hours from home. Um, at the time, I would not say legendary athletic trainer in the state, but he's retiring this December after 43 years. Uh, they call him Doc um, Ken Henderson. That was a great two years there, and I, from there I moved on to Charleston Southern University, Really, why I didn't down there? I went down there. I really don't know. Still to this day, um, <laughs> I never visited campus. I literally drove twenty one hours to go um, work with a guy named Tony Sutton and James Oglesby, were the two athletic trainers. And I walked in the day after my trip to the athletic training room. First time visiting campus. First time walking in the athletic training room. And there's Tony packing up his office. He was leaving. Charleston Southern to head to Auburn to be their head football athletic trainer. And, you know, it's like, hey, nice to meet you. And that was it. He left. Um, Oglesby was with the Dallas Cowboys for internships. We really had nobody, honestly, the first week of three days of Division One sports. And, you know, being a junior college transfer, I, I had total confidence in myself, so I just jumped right in. But those two years were interesting with staff and staff turnover. But Charleston was an amazing city, a great place for me to grow up. Uh, it was a Christian college, and so it was important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Ohio University where I was a 
graduate assistant with 20 other athletic trainers. We all covered high schools. So I worked at New Lexington High School for a year, uh, finished my master's degree. Then I went to Lancaster. We call it Lancaster High School in Ohio, where I was the head athletic trainer for six years and worked at a very large high school and a massive conference in the Columbus area. Um, then I, 2003 spring, just had the urge to come back home and this job opened up here at Sterling and I interviewed and I submitted my stuff good Friday. I got an email back on Monday from Deb on Wednesday. I flew out here on Friday. I accepted the job. It's within a week. And so I've been here for 19 years now. Um, I think, you know, my, my story as we'll flush out and more of our episodes have been, um, my commitment to relationships my success and building them and keeping them, um, my passion for people, my passion for this job, and burnout. Burnout isn't a thing for me because I really truly love coming to work. Um, and that's that's a cliche line, right? If you love what you do and you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I've seen my mom and dad work. I've seen my grandparents work. Like I, I know what calloused hands look like. My dad just had his third hand surgery Monday carpal tunnel surgery, Deputrin surgery. He's had, you know, lumbar discs and all kinds of stuff. And those are things that I know he got from his work. And I, I, I have pretty hands. I have no calluses. <laughs> I'm okay with that. You know, but my, my athletic training story has, has been focused. It's been goal oriented from the, from the start. And I've been really blessed to have some amazing mentors that aren't athletic trainers that are, people we're going to have in this podcast that are coaches that are doctors and yeah that's kind of my story this kid from a small town of 150 people you know walked into a profession that i i mean i i do i have every goal of being the best and i don't know it's a, it's a personal goal and i don't need awards to prove that to myself i just work really hard and at the end of the day, if people respect what I've done, then I've succeeded. And if I've changed a life, I've succeeded even more. So, okay. yeah. Well, mine is a little different. I uh, I did not know that this is what I wanted to do when I was in seventh grade. Um, I didn't know that this was what I wanted to do two years into the bachelor's program, to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I'm originally from... Southeast Wyoming, Northwest Colorado, played sports all my life. Um, when I was graduating high school, the biggest thing that I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, didn't know where I wanted to go, but I knew football was going to be a part of it somehow. Um, I was, I was good for Western Slope, Colorado, um, high school football. I realized once I got here that you know, I I think I still had some some talent to give to the team, but I wasn't as good as I thought I was in high school. Um, but I did stick out the whole. You know, I redshirted and then was played the the four years of eligibility. Um, but like I said, two two and a half years into a biology degree, I decided to to make the switch. Um, it's funny. I, I found my like entrance essay you had to write. I don't know if they still have to do that, but we had to write like a entrance essay and mine said that I wanted to attend Sterling college and obtain a teaching degree. 
Well, it's funny, by the time that I got here in September or August, I mean, that had already changed because I had decided I was going to get a biology degree and, you know, become a veterinarian and, uh, or a DOW officer. Then two and a half years into that, I switched to athletic training, um, you know, had decided that that was what I wanted to do because I had, you know, spent so much time in the athletic training room for football and, uh, had a bunch of buddies that were in the athletic training program and stuff. So I was going to make the switch. And, uh, like I said, second year in the program, I was still like, I don't know if this is something I want to do, but I don't know what it was, but it was something about that final year. I was only here for a semester and I didn't have football anymore and I could just focus on athletic training. And that four to six months let me know, like, no, this is what I want to do. Um, from once I graduated here, I went down to, to Orlando, Florida, um, and was an intern for South Lake hospital at ESPN wide world of sports. And we just covered anything and everything that showed up to ESPN. Unfortunately, we didn't get to cover the Braves. Um, we actually got kicked out of our athletic training room because of the Braves. We had to work out of a tent. Um, but we'd cover, um, other college events. Um, college, they have a big college softball tournament down there. Um, a bunch of high schools come down there for their uh, spring training for softball and baseball and lacrosse. And we did cover some college lacrosse. We covered um, my least favorite sport to cover ever, which is field hockey. Um, I just don't understand how you can run like that, run around hunched over like that, and then come complain to the medical staff that your back hurts. Like, get a longer stick. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. It's a, it's a painful sport yes. to watch mm-hmm. as a fan. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, another cool thing we got to do there was we were the the medical liaisons for a invitation. I don't know if it was an invitational tournament or what it was, but it was MLS soccer. Um, they came down and they played probably six different opponents or something like that throughout a a couple of week. Uh, time span and so during games and practices we would be like the medical liaisons that if they needed something they needed an ambulance or they needed something from the training room or something like that we were there to help them out um so it was interesting to have conversations with um athletic trainers in professional sports but not only that with mls you've got international teams with the teams coming from canada so to talk with athletic trainers from Canada about, hey, or athletic therapists from Canada, I think that's what they call themselves. Um, but to say, what's, it di- what's different about being able to practice in Canada versus practice here? Like, is there any difference? Um, and honestly, I can't remember what they might have said. Uh, that, that's been a while, and I've slept since then. But uh, that was a really good experience. I think I grew up a lot in that five months um, down in Orlando. From Orlando, I went to Livingston, Alabama, and was a graduate assistant at the University of West Alabama covering rodeo, tennis, um, and cross-country track. I also helped with some some spring football and, uh, like, (coughs) training camp for football um, because uh, because rodeo – doesn't really get started till like mid-September so 
Um, that was a really good experience. Um, I went down there because they cover rodeo. Um, you had uh, told me that they had a GA spot that covered rodeo, and, and I really wanted to see what that was like and what that was about. So I um, went down there, got my master's degree, and then uh, moved to Wichita because my, my wife was entering grad school to, to be a therapist and just needed a job, and nothing was open. It's not like it is now where you can, you know, like my grandma would say, you could swing a cat by the tail and, and hit a, hit a job opening, you know? Yeah. But, uh, it is, it, there was nothing open except for a industrial job at a airplane manufacturer where you're, you're being an industrial athletic trainer, but it just wasn't, I, I got that job was there for about 15 months, but it wasn't for me because it was very numbers driven. It was very, um, You didn't, I didn't feel like I got to use all the tools in my bag. Let's just put it that way. It was, I had a list of things that I could do that wouldn't trigger a recordable injury. And if I did anything out of that, it triggered a recordable injury. And let's be honest, the main reason we were there was to decrease those. (coughs) So, um, excuse me. (laughs) So about after about 15 months of that, I decided I needed to get back into athletics. So I, I got a job at a school that I never in a million years thought I would uh, go work for when I if I was a student here would have never thought I'd have worked at Friends University but I spent four years there working with football Um, I worked for soccer's for a year uh, women's basketball and then baseball Um, I worked with softball for a year as well but I really enjoyed that experience Um, Robin Johnson was a was a great mentor to me uh, I grew a lot in those four years, you know, not so much as an athletic trainer, but as like in the things that I think it's going to take to be the best head athletic trainer that I can be. Um, so that led me to here. Um, this I just finished my second year as head athletic trainer here. Um, I'm working primarily with football and powerlifting, but also just trying to make sure that this this new athletic training clinic that we've got is is running as smoothly as possible and that we can make sure everybody's getting the coverage and the attention that that they need yeah and i think it's a it's a blessing for you coming in you know just we both have the same mindset of what the athlete training clinic should look like for the athlete mm-hmm. and also your athlete training students to see an environment that i think is unique to any place in the country, NAIA and AA. Um, but I appreciate that so much about, about what you do here is that from day one, that's been your focus is we're going to provide the best total care for our athletes as compared to just open a door and close the mm-hmm. door at the end of the day. And it's here, yeah. you know, and, and it's hard at a lot of places to not just do that. Just check the box, you know, hit the punch card, mm-hmm. <clears throat> clock in, clock out, you right. know, and, uh, that's a pride thing for me, be, you being a product of our program. It's a pride thing for me being a, a mentor in your life. Yeah. That it's what we're doing here every day right now. Right. You know, and and we get a chance to not only do it for our athletes, but, you know, m- hopefully our students will mirror what we're doing for our athletes. Absolutely. And we can see that success. As I say, 
on a lot of my <clears throat> letters of recommendation I write that they we've shown them the light to the path. Will they take that light to someone else and brighten their path with a Sterling College torch? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's you know my 19 years here. It's what my I've, just like you. I wanted to be a place where we're not only doing our job, but we're exceeding what the expectations of our job are. Right. You know, I I've always been a priceless mindset. You know, you can't fill my shoes. And although we all will have our shoes filled at some point, you're going to need to get a different pair of shoes. Right. Because you're not going to fit in mine. No one will do what I did. No one will be better than me. And there will be. But that's just, it's really one of the goals I've set for myself. You know, when I I leave something, I've not left many things, but when I have, I I want to leave a big void. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, well, I don't. I don't want to leave a big void. And I'm like, well, then what are you working for? You know, and um, and that's a personal thing, obviously, and a right. selfish thing, maybe. It's pretty selfless, but also selfish. But Well, I think, you know, I, I sent this to the, uh, to the students, uh, I think the level two students. You know, it was, talk- it was from Gary Vitti's book, and it was talking about when he first got to the Lakers and, you know, that Pat Riley had this this 12 plus 2 plus 1 mentality and that's 12 players two coaches and one athletic trainer now this was the 80s so the lakers now have way more coaches and you know three athletic trainers or something like that but it was his idea was 12 plus 2 plus 1 and anything outside of that was an external opponent and um gary was like when i got there somebody had to plan travel Somebody had to be the travel secretary planning where we were staying, when we were leaving, getting guys booked on flights and stuff like that. And he's like, I knew the players couldn't do it. I knew the coaches wouldn't do it. So that left me. And he's like, a lot of times in your, um, you know, in your career, you're going to find things that, that aren't underneath your, your, I don't want to say scope of practice. They're not in your job description, right? But you need to be ready to do those and do them to the best of your ability, you know. And, and I really like the the idea of when you show up somewhere new as a job, you need to find the best way to make yourself indisposable, so that they like I don't want to say they they won't get rid of you, but you need you need to make yourself like you said priceless. Find ways. Find you know, like niche spots that you can, voids that you can fill that nobody else can, you know. So I think we both have a very similar mindset on that. Yep. Yeah. And that's a a good thing about our conversations in here will be, again, hopefully some young athlete trainer can hear some of these things and some of our colleagues can take some notes and and think – that's not a bad way to look at that perspective or a good way to look at myself or view myself. I, I've, I've told all my students, including you, like when you go to interview for the job, like it's not if they're going to offer you the job. If either you want it or you don't. Right. You have the most important say in the whole situation. Mm-hmm. So going into an interview or walking into a job that it's, it's already yours, do you want it? Who cares if they want you or not? Because... They can want you all they want, but if you don't want it, that actually is the final answer. Right. You know, and so, you know, I 
I have never interviewed for a job that I wasn't offered unless I pulled myself out of the running because it just wasn't something I wanted. And I've not interviewed that many times. I'll be the first to admit. But when I have, that's just the mindset that I've had. Um, even younger, mm-hmm. I was very confident in myself. But again, I believe in what I believe, and I believe in myself, and I believe the kind of product that I want to have with whatever I'm a part of. Right. You know, and so I think it's what makes our program so special. It's what makes how others view our athletic training staff and our athletic training program. It's a standard we've set. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these jobs open right now we're going to hit on. And yeah, there, I mean, I get emails, text messages, phone calls, Facebook messages all the time. Yeah. You have someone available, you know, and we've worked hard for that. You know? So kind of piggybacking off that. When you first got here to Sterling, there was an athletic training program, or there, w- yeah. There so wasn't. it was, it was here, um, Bethel, Bethany, Sterling, Tabor. Before I got here, we're part of a consortium. So they individually said they could not have an athletic training program. So because we have this, um. It's an accredited consortium college in McPherson called ACCK, and a bunch of colleges in our area and our conference put money in for a budget to share elementary education, special you know, special education, athletic training. It's like, you know, S- Sterling couldn't do special education licensure. Bethany couldn't do it, but together we probably have twenty students. Mm-hmm. So they form this ACCK that's, to me, it's pretty it's pretty defunct at this point. It might still be a thing, but there's not much there. Before I got here, we were in the middle of all of those schools being approved as a consortium athletic training program. So Sterling College would have a program with Bethel, Bethany, Tabor. They would all be standalone, but our students would go to McPherson and we would share faculty. So Sterling's program director was the overall program director. Bethany's program director was the clinical coordinator. Bethel's program director was going to be the main faculty member. And Tabor's, I don't really know how how involved Tabor was going to be. I think they had a person who was going to build each faculty. So our students on Monday nights would... Instead of going to class Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they would go Monday. And so the first-year students may have 4 o'clock to 6.30 and then 7 to 9.30. The second-year students could be the same. They could be at 4 o'clock. They could be at 7 o'clock. It just depends. But they, you know, all these schools like us, all those students played sports. And so that was a huge hassle. For me, it was those kids driving 40 miles one way. So before I got here, there was a program. I should say – The the 2004 year was the last year you could sit for the BOC and not come from an accredited program. So before 2004, myself and many other athlete trainers, you went to college, you got a degree in anything, you had specific hours with an athlete trainer, 
you had specific classes you took, and there was two routes. There's an internship route like that, and there was a curriculum route sort of like what we have now, but they weren't accredited. Yeah. You didn't have to do it. So we had students sit for the exam before I got here, Mark, Chris, and Katie Ross. They all were part of the internship program. But after 04, anybody that graduated, and it wasn't like the 04 school year. It was literally December 31st, 2004. So January 1 of, 2005, of 2005. It was poor timing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But So they were trying to become accredited when I got here. So my very first year, 0304, we were a part of the consortium. And all my students on Mondays were all gone. They would leave here at 3 o'clock to go to McPherson for the night. And we had probably seven, I think seven students that year. And of those seven, only two continued on into athletic training. All the rest of them just didn't want to deal with it because they're going to graduate from a non-accredited program. So they'd have to like delay their graduation or they couldn't sit for their exam. Mm -hmm. So my very first year we were part of the consortium that spring. I raised a bunch of money to redo the athletic training and redo the classrooms um, that coach Cruz helped me with. And so we were in the middle of construction. They had like a end of the year cookout for faculty and staff. And I was in the athletic training room and at the time our department chair, Mary Versteg, we all know her as coach Mary. She came in with our academic Dean named Vicki Hess, who, by the way, was, she was here for like four months. I said, Hey, I just found out what our budget was. We were paying $30,000 a year to be a part of the ACCK's athletic training consortium for someone else to teach our students, mm-hmm. for someone else to check off our students for our kids to have to drive 80 miles round trip on a Monday night for three years, why don't we keep that money in-house? Let's put it towards hiring somebody else to help me. Let's do it in-house. And our program director at the time was leaving anyway, Vince Diller. And they all see a small college. It's like, oh, you want to save money? I'm like, yeah, you guys just give me enough to hire my $5,000 a year intern to be full-time with benefits you guys can keep the rest of it of course they jumped on that right you know we had no we had no president at the time we were gonna we're about to go through five academic deans in less than two years anyway we could save money they were going to do so the 0405 school year we were completely out of the acck and we did all of it in-house so I was the head athlete trainer and assistant athlete trainer, Richard McClellan. I taught 17 hours and was plus the, the head AT, which you would know with two of us. I did football, women's basketball, baseball. He did soccers, men's basketball, softball, and everything else we just kind of picked up. So, yeah, <clears throat> we were starting our program when I first got here. Yeah. So, you know, I, just, I went in there yesterday to count – um, because on Friday, last Friday, we hung six more names on the wall. Uh, for those listening, we we have a wall in our athletic training classroom. It used to be in the athlete, the old athletic training room, um, but we put it in the the athletic training lab. But it's a wall that anytime a student passes their exam, their their board exam, and gets the credential of ATC. 
their name goes up on the wall. And I, I counted yesterday 75 names, um, would 76 if you include Esther, which we all know, you know, had we not lost her, she would have, she would have passed. Oh yeah. Um, so 75 credentialed names on there, 72 of them are yours. Um, people that have, have passed the test under you. Um, how, how do you build that? Right? Like I'm the, now the third athletic trainer, head athletic trainer at Sterling in secession. That is an ex, you know, Sterling college athletic training grad. Like we have two on staff that graduated from Sterling college's program. That's not just because you go hire people from within, like people want to come back here. Yeah. Right. So how do you, how'd you build that culture? My, I'll, I'll never forget it. And it's, if you ever get a chance, I know you have seen Jimmy Valvano's, you know, his speech for the ESPYs. Um, that's our timer, everybody. We, we're, <laughs> we, our space we rented, we got to get out of. Just kidding. <laughs> Jimmy V's speech, he talks about, you know, walking in. He's the JV coach at Rutgers, and he walks in, and, you know, <laughs> and, and we're going to beat, you know, who it was. He tells, he says the wrong name. And um, I had prepared all all summer for my very first day here on the job in 03. And the high school I was at in Ohio, I had an athletic training class. I had athletic training students. We had T-shirts. We had polos. We had the whole deal. And and I started to create this program mindset that I always wanted. That's why I wanted to come to college um, to create my own program. And I, I have a coach mentality. But in the fall of 03, you know, I, I have T-shirts made before I even take over the job. And I, I'm getting ready to hand these T-shirts out to all the students. And it's so cool to me, 19 years later, I still really believe in what I had made that year. And it said, Sterling College, it's not about tape or ice. It's about pride, family, program. And I'm giving this speech in these, it's an unair-conditioned athletic training room. <laughs> None of the kids wanted me back for two days. They had no clue who I was. They had not had a lot of direction, a person passionate. The whole consortium accreditation they just honestly probably two students wanted to be there mm -hmm. i remember just getting on i remember getting emotional because you know i'm a crier and they literally people were like crickets like just give us our t-shirt like shut right. up but it, that is something that i've from from coach roger barda to jack greathouse lonnie cruz the hall of fame coaches i've worked with that's what, they've all instilled this culture that you want to be there but why do you want to be there because they they're just people you want to be around but not just be around, they surround themselves with people you want to be around, and mm -hmm. they have a this mindset that it's us, 12 plus 2 plus 1, whatever it may be, you know. And so anybody knows me, the word family, the word ohana is a huge part of my life. And so how do I build what I have now and how do I get to where this point I'm at is by, just by anybody we hire here, they have to understand that's who we're going to be about. And then when we bring into our program as a student – they have to know that from the first day we get them on campus that we're a family and we are, we are our own entity. When you do something outside of these walls, it's going to reflect on us. If you do something stupid downtown and, and the, as we, you and I would say, Tomer, the police officer in our town, there's more <laughs> than one folks, but he's the only one really knows. 
if Tomer finds out, I'm going to find out, and we're going to have an issue because that's embarrassing to me. So just making people feel accountable because they're a part of something that's so special. Right. And you, you, you in here, I mean, the students that were before you, during your time, and after your time that aren't still in the profession, for whatever the reasons may be, a lot of them didn't leave the program because they so wanted to stay in the culture of the program. Right. And there are a lot of kids that took the national exam that had no plans of being an athlete trainer, but they wanted their name on that wall. Right. You know, they wanted to check that box because they'd seen all the other names. And where's mine going to go? What's Pete going to say about me? And I really hated that because that's an expensive test. Right. And we used to be held accountable for it. Thank you, uh, Katie. Hashtag thanks, Katie, um, for taking that, for changing that pass rate. But we're still going to maintain that pass rate. But the pressure on that test isn't easy. Mm-hmm. And people were taking it. But they were taking that test, staying in this program because of just this thing in this box that you probably can't from the outside explain it. But when you're in the inside, you don't have to. That's just why I've worked really hard to do is to create that kind of a culture, that kind of a family, that kind of a rallying point is that we are in this together, but no one is more important than anyone else. And But together, collectively, we're going to do great things. And I – yeah, I mean, we've, we've grown. You've seen the pictures. You know, right. the very first year, the 04 fall, we had a sophomore, a junior, and a senior. And that's the first picture, which was actually my second year. And I feel bad I missed the first picture. but And those students were all special to me. But they they didn't want to continue on in this field anyway, and they were kind of checked out with the, with the position. But, yeah, I – I don't know. I've just I've seen so many other sports and groups and teams and things that I'm envious of the camaraderie they had. And I just I'd waited so long to have that. And once I got here, I planted my feet like firmly in the ground and dug my heels in. Like that's going to be us. Right. And you know we grew fast. And oh, every single day, everyone felt that love. It's hard in the undergrad setting, especially, but they all knew that there were people that that they could count on at their worst moment in that moment at college and as they leave here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of my inspiration, you know, to man, it's it's cool there's 75. You know, I, I had no idea. I was, right. was going to guess in the 80s. But then I started thinking as you were telling me those numbers, well, who's going to be 100? Right. You know, right. I know it's 25 from now, which is several years from now. And then I started thinking about what happens when the wall gets too full. Mm-hmm which were all the things going through my mind. And I already have, I already have that figured out how we're going to handle that next. Like, but that's me. That's the dreamer in me right. thinking always down the road for the next thing, because I want them all to feel how special that is. Right. Yeah. That's, I remember the old classroom, you know, almost as important, like to me, almost as important to, as hanging my name on the wall was like when my, my, pennant for grad school was going to go on the wall you know the i have mine hanging up right there above my tv um but in the old classroom you know if you went to grad school somewhere you the the student brought you back a pennant from that school and you hung it in the classroom like now with the with a master's program that's really not a thing but i thought about potentially you know our <clears throat> our buddy cody eckert brought me this uh 
this baseball helmet back here. Um, but I, th I thought about, you know, students that I've had here just saying, Hey, I can't do a full size pennant. I'll run out of room real quick in this office. But if you're, if your school, you know, if you go to a college or a, or a, a high school or whatever it is, if they've got one of those like miniature pennants, like bring it in, I'll, you know, I'll start a wall in here, you know, but, or anything you bring, I'm going to put it, you know, on the, on the shelf or on the wall or or just something that I can look at that and be like yep that's Cody you know like sat in the corner of my office every day and and just made ridiculous comments but you know he's he's loving what he's doing now and he's gonna be is and gonna be a great athletic trainer so that it's just you see those things and it it reminds you of of the person that you helped get them to where they were or they're where they are now yeah when i was at charleston southern our head athlete trainer brett hoffman his thing was putting our names on the wall and his thing because we moved into a new athlete training room in one of my two years there he wanted to brand it like what we've done here in our athlete training room. branding is a huge thing you know pat mcafee for the brand you know, like mm -hmm. that's Today, it's a big deal. Now, in 1994, it wasn't a thing, but Brett, it was a thing. You're going to put your mark on it. And so the athlete training room, there were certain things painted that we painted. We all see we had an overhead projector. We <laughs> traced them out. But Charleston Southern University, every T on the the wording, every T had a cross, like a yellow cross kind of highlighted inside of it. And so he was a big... WCW, Nitro, wrestling was a big deal. When I was in school, I was going in South Carolina, so you can imagine wrestling South Carolina is a huge deal besides NASCAR. So we got into Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, but you know the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, Bret Hart. And so that's what Bret put on the wall was that saying, and then he had all of our names – painted on the wall in the year we became certified. So what you see in our classroom was a Charleston Southern deal. Mm -hmm. And I was the first certified athletic trainer from Charleston Southern in 1996. So I'm the first one on their wall. Now I will say, even on our own wall, there's people before Mark Robertson and myself at Charleston Southern that have passed the exam, that went to school here, but I don't know who they are. And I'd love right. to find out who they are, but the, that was so special to me because I want to be able to tell – I would be one of the stories. And the penance was a big thing for me because Ken Henderson at Barton, every student's graduated from his program and gone on. He's just asked, can you send me a cup, like a coffee coffee mug? And he has, there's probably 60 in his office. I have Charleston Southern and Ohio University mugs in his office that he's very proud of. And the same thing you said. Because you know in the old classroom, there was Lamar and Oregon and... William Jewell and West Al, and I, they were all reminders of stories mm -hmm. of those students that those other students could sit and say again, what's he going to say about me? What's mine going to say? And I love I love that idea that you just talked about. And we got, we need to get a Twins hat, a Mariners hat, an Astros hat, like, right. you know, in here, anywhere. I, right. But you're right, after a while... It takes up a lot of room. Yeah, for sure. You know, but again, good problem to have. Mm -hmm. But all those things are the entire process. 
it all just continually cycles over and over and over again until you're raveled so tightly inside of it, you just you really can't ever imagine leaving it. And mm-hmm. you know, you've left here and gone to other places. And one of the first things you'll tell any of our graduates, Sterling is unlike most places. Right. And wherever you go to next will definitely not be Sterling. And I would say some places, I don't know, for example, but you could possibly leave Emporia State and, and go to Hayes and say there's not a whole lot different. Now, I'm not saying that's true, but some schools, yeah, you go over there, it's just the same as us. And I, I hope nobody can say that about us. Right. Nobody's going to be like us. Well, you're going to get yelled at. You're going to get cussed at someplace else. Good. Good. That's that's their problem. That's not how we're going to treat you here. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you know that, you know, so... And you went, to, we went, you went to West Al with one of the biggest names in athletic training, you know. So, and and he's created this massive following. That's that's the same thing. People just want to so much be a part of West Al, you know, the Uwa Nation, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. So, we we moved to a master's program a few years ago. I mean, you saw it when the when the talks were, you know coming down the pike you saw it come and talked with the the higher-ups here at the college and and that played a, a pretty big part in the building we're sitting in right now did it not yeah huge part yeah the the first ever master's degree program on this campus is absolutely the the genesis the spark to start the capital campaign for this building and and that changed a ton but at the end of the day what was once going to be a $2 million addition became a $4 million addition became an $8 million addition, <clears throat> excuse me, all because of this program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that no one's going to deny that. That's why I was on the road all over the country asking for money from, from boosters, from sponsors, from other donors because of that reason. But yeah, absolutely. This, this $8 million addition we get to sit in every day is really a, a a byproduct of, I'm not going to say the success of this program, but the continued success of this program to maintain that high level because of that master's degree change. We could have stayed at bachelor's degree, and I'd have had a, I'd have had a lot to probably, we need this facility for what reason? But with a master's degree, I was able to, to play that game a little bit, you know, and be like, yeah, we, we do. We need a larger classroom. You and I both know we need a larger athletic training room. Yeah. That every athletic trainer would say. <laughs> right. They all would say that. But, right. you know, when our hydro room currently is the same size as our previous athletic training mm-hmm. room, it's pretty obvious we right. needed something larger. Yeah. So what have you noticed, you know, whether it be in, te- in teaching the students or um, in the education they receive – what's the what differences have you seen from the undergrad to the masters what's what's been different what's been the same well i mean one of the things that i was most excited about and and you would very much understand this is one of the major changes to a masters degree is that students would either have already graduated with their bachelor's degree or they would pretty maybe pretty set like this is a graduate degree you don't just kind of decide you're going to kind of halfway do this and in the in the undergrad programs as you know again we, talk, we discussed this already a lot of students didn't want to go into the athletic training program after about a year and a half in but they stuck with it 
because it was so late to change. Yeah, what was your what was your rule if somebody made it past their sophomore? What you, you used yeah, to say? Yeah, I always said they got past their junior fall. Yeah, then we got them. They're gonna they're gonna finish it and they're gonna be okay. And that's probably probably you know probably ninety five percent accurate. Um, but the, the the fact that the students are twenty two years old, not eighteen nineteen years old, decide that's what they want to do. They're more mature. They're more focused. Uh, they're still going to have the same, so some similarities. They still complain and act like life is so hard because they're studying so hard. But unlike our other students, you know, they were full time athletes, full time students in a healthcare professional educational program. So, you know, those those students they were burnt on both ends, and mm-hmm. so you know, not being able to play sports, which is controversial for me. It wasn't because it made my life a lot easier trying to balance out what we do here. But for me, some of the major changes, we are so much more intentional in what we're going to teach and why we're going to teach it and the expectations of what the students are supposed to retain is at a completely higher level. You know, the things I did in evaluation class and the, as you know, the checkoffs we had, or maybe one, you know, two-sided piece of paper, and I just put Lockman's, I put down McMurray's test, is either you got it or you didn't. Well, now the thing's probably 20-some pages long, and Lockman's is, it itself is five columns. Right. Because it's, it's, it's telling you exactly all the details of how to place the patient, where your hand positioning should be, what makes it positive, what does it indicate, and giving giving it so much more boxes to check because it's got to be done in all those ways and so we completely revamped everything we do every checkoff is way more detailed our classes are more in depth and and yes the research part of it which is what makes their grad program there's just a more of a research content piece which just naturally comes along but all of our previous classes absolutely have have raised the expectations we have of the students and the raised expectations i have for the professors and what they need to cover, and the content they've got to hit. Like the forget check boxes, books, pages. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I think similarities. The test is the same. The test hasn't changed any. The process for the test hasn't changed any. Um, it, students graduated with a bachelor's. Eighty-six percent went on to get their master's degree. So now, you know, 100% will have a master's degree. Is there a huge difference there? Some people say get a bachelor's and then go on to your master's for two years at GA, like what you and I both did. You get a chance to kind of cut your teeth and mm-hmm. make some decisions without having to have someone to hold your hand, where these students walk out with a master's degree, really have not been on their own yet to, again, cut their teeth, make those right. decisions. And You know, the profession, there's been – you know, rotten tomatoes thrown at that idea. And, you know, I, I think there's some debate there for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I, I always stand behind our students and how we teach our students. I do believe we give them chances to make decisions, but at the end of the day, it's not like being a GA. Yeah. And that's to me, a, a definite change that I don't know is for the better. And I, I'm very, I'm very, critical of the change but i'm supportive of it because i really had no say in it like right. i was told by chad starkey the director at ohio u 
He's like, yeah, Pete, that, that train left the station. And this is like five years before they ever announced it because he was on the inner committees mm-hmm. that knew, you know, things that you and I don't know for years, other people have known. Right. He's like, yeah, that train left the station. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Because I was going to talk to him about, hey, what do you know? And he, I mean, he was very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's it's just created – it's created a very unique, I don't know, dynamic right now, a wholly, a totally unique landscape in the yeah. world of athletic training. Yeah, let's talk about that, you know, for just a minute. What, you know, you're getting emails and text messages left and right about people looking for for people to hire and, you know, the the salaries for, for ATs in a lot, of, a lot of places are going up, which is great, but that's causing trouble for the the smaller school that had one and trying to get two or maybe didn't have one and's trying to get one like can you elaborate a little bit on that like the current state of AT yeah it, everyone would have said when they made this change everybody that had a GA was going to be in a world of hurt because they'd have four athletic trainers and two GAs. And so there wouldn't be a reason to have a GA because they're already going to have a master's degree. And that's all anybody talked about. How do we survive, you know, going from six staff to our GAs to can we even afford to hire two more full-time? And, you know, the big D1 schools have 10 and 12 GAs. What are they going to do? Honestly, you never hear about it. Mm-hmm. Like the GA conversation was all anybody talked about. You never hear it. I just I hardly hear I heard it today on a Zoom call, but it wasn't like a big deal for that person. They just happened to bring it up. The biggest change has been that there were three hundred and ninety six undergraduate four year programs. And this fall there are hundred and twenty five graduate programs. And the year from now there'll be zero undergraduate programs. So our profession has lost, you know, two hundred and seventy colleges. And if they all put out even five athletic trainers per year, and you, you know, our program had 27 students, about nine per class. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the largest program even in Kansas. The, the data that I have seen, and by the way, this has not been researched, so please don't cite this. <laughs> about 4,100 students set for the exam in 2019. And the 2021 exam window are a little less than 1,900 mm-hmm. set for the exam. And that 2,000-person gap is 2,000 less people entering the profession. So what it has created is not a GA concern. It's created a massive volume concern of new athlete trainers entering the profession. And the demand, because of COVID, you know, we've garnered as a profession a ton of respect in COVID. High schools want to have athlete trainers. Colleges and universities are trying to expand their staff. There's just jobs open and people aren't available to take it. You know, in our state, I mean, there's 18 college jobs open in Kansas. Mm-hmm. I can't think of in my entire almost 20 years having more than three or four in a year not get filled. Right. And most of these weren't filled the whole year. You know, our conference, we are aware of that. The the two-year schools in our in our state can't fill a position and – the students can be so much more selective. And the salaries, 2019, our graduates made about, I would say, 32.5 was the average of all the students that got a job. I mean, this class has yet to 
finalize all of them with a job, but they're all going to make, I would imagine, an average of 42. So in two years, the salary has gone up. Why? Because the supply has gone down. The demand has gone higher. But yeah, the landscape is it's crazy. Yeah, and I, you know, part of it's probably COVID, but it feels like there's been this not only a an input drop because of the amount of people taking the test, but also there's it feels like there's a mass exodus within athletic training. People just whether it's their burnout from COVID, that or they're just they're they're not wanting to to live this life anymore where we're putting in you know 60 70 hours a week and they're just they're leaving for other whether it be a clinic job where it's more of an you know a nine to five or an industrial job um or they just get out of it all together yep and that's a big i'm on a nata task force we just met before our podcast and Retention, recruitment, advancement, you know, all those key pillars. When you talk about, you know, um, your job setting, colleges or where it may be, those are big pieces to that that puzzle. And it, it is huge, the gap, the, the amount of people that have left the college and university setting. Why have they left? Have they left athlete training, right? Have they, have they gone to a clinic? Um, there's the coverage versus the care model. Those athletic training colleges and universities that, you know, we have set hours. We don't have teams we are necessarily assigned to. We don't have teams we travel with. We just have – we don't travel at all. We all take turns for coming in the morning. We all take turns for being here late at night. You know, that – but you're right. There's there's an excess of those that have left college and university. There is an increase in the amount of jobs because people, administrators have seen how important athletic trainers are. But then there's this gap of those entering combined with those leaving combined with the new jobs have just created this. It's not in a vacuum. It's a gap, mm-hmm. you know, and, and yeah, I had an athletic director call me from a small college in Iowa saying, Pete, Two years ago, I would have never paid an athletic trainer more than $34,000. And I'm like, I know, he, I know he's speaking the truth of what he believes, but you and I would sit here and say, that's crazy. You wouldn't even think about that. Right. And he's, he's paying his head athletic trainer, you know, 48 plus, and he's bringing in two assistants at 42 plus. And he was asking me, is, is this the new landscape? And I said, yeah, it is. And that landscape's going to, I mean, I hope for our students – that landscape's going to keep going up where it's 42 and 44 and 46 for starting salaries. Um, without us having to change our practice acts and change what we can do, just getting recognized for the, the health care we provide. And that's our job to instill in our students. They're going to have choices. They have a lot of choices and picking the right one. But in the day, you've still got to be true to the profession. Mm-hmm. It is going to be some long hours. It's going to be some long days. That work-life balance, at the same time still trying to be committed, it's tough. It's a challenging profession. You and I both know that. But at least the new kids, you and I will never see this money, but these new kids, (laughs) man, they're making the money that all those before myself and you have fought really hard to get. 
and I realize the big time D ones are going to be making eighty to two hundred plus. Kudos to them. They've also got a packed football stadium with ninety four thousand right. people. They can afford those things, and you know endowments, and I got it, no problem. But yeah, the small schools. They'll go from two to three to four, and then now go back to three, back to two. And that's my fear. And those high schools that want to have an athlete trainer, unless they're through a hospital system, may not want to do that. Right. Yeah, it's just a it's, – uh, it's not a steady slope to stand on for sure. I would not say for athlete trainers. I would say for administrators. Yeah. Uh, as far as athletic trainers go, it's a great time to get into the profession. Absolutely. I mean, as far as a recruitment tool to get people to come to come to school for a master's, that's that's a great. Oh, you know, you know and to my recruitment, there's uh, a clinic outreach in Illinois, a clinic outreach in Fort Wayne, Indiana, saying, "Hey, athletic trainer, here's forty five thousand. Here's a five thousand dollars signing bonus. And oh, by the way, you sign a three year contract, we'll pay your loans off." Right. Yeah, sign me up. You know, I'm I'm 48 with a doctoral, you know, loan hanging over my head. I'm in. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of doctoral, that you know, we had one of our uh AT alum, former head AT here, Jason Coles put in the alumni group on Facebook that that Southern Naz is offering a graduate assistant athletic trainer position, but instead of getting a master's, they'll pay for your doctorate in education like i i can't imagine and i know i know that it it says 20 to 30 hours per week but just seeing what everybody else that i know that have gotten like a phd or a edd has put into their dissertation and stuff like that i don't know how you do that and be a practicing clinical athletic trainer yeah I mean, kudos to them. Well, it, yeah, for sure. Outside the box, it's, it's great thinking. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's, it feels like something Jason would conjure up. Um, I think it's it's interesting. I'd like to see if they get anybody. Yeah, you know, we have a one of our recent alums has, you know, she's an interview tomorrow in Atlanta. Another interview Tuesday. She probably has seven job offers right now, mm-hmm. and they all are paying fantastic. And they're small colleges, you know, and. I've had a you know I've had a Division One person tell me I have two full time jobs open. If, if any of your kids apply, we won't even interview. Like we know your program, we know you, and our students are like yeah I don't, I, I don't want Division One. I, I don't want to live in that area, mm-hmm. too hot, too cold, where it may be. And I'm like well yeah they can be selective. Where right. when you were in college you've been like yeah I had no problem well, moving to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and freezing my nose off. Right, I'll do it. Well that's that's just what it was when I. I had to be in Wichita because my wife was going to school, had to take an industrial job. There yep. was there was nothing available. And now you could get in just in Wichita, I bet there's three junior colleges within forty minutes that have one or two jobs. There's a division one school has a job open currently. There's multiple clinic high school outreaches mm-hmm. in Wichita. I bet Wichita has twelve athletic training jobs open right now. Right. And places you would would have wanted to work at, would have enjoyed working at, and then paid well. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's awesome for our students. Mm-hmm. I, I stress out for, um, not for myself, I stress out for 
the people in our conference. You know, when I got here in 2003, there were 10 schools and there were 11 athletic trainers. And we were the only school with two. And Richard was, like I said, a $5,000 intern. And here we are, you know, 19 years later, we have 13 schools about to add our 14th. And, you know, none of them have less than two. Most of them have more than three. Several have more than five. And it's, again, it's a, it's a pride thing. We were the first to have two. We were the first to have three. We were the first to have four. We were the first to have five. And again, we, you know, you and I consider ourselves, this program is the trendsetter in our conference and even in our state. And that's a really cool thing for me to have that. But I worry about those schools that used to have one. They've gone to four. There's easily a chance they could go back to three, not because a school wants to, because they literally cannot fill that fourth position. Mm -hmm. They're going to go back to three, so therefore they'll stop traveling. They'll go to, again, more of a coverage than a care model. And and that's, that's, that's the landscape. Right. There's going to be some, definitely some bumps and some heartache along the way. Um, you and I both hope that the athletes aren't the ones that suffer yeah, because of this. And that's why we, you know, circling back to our whole podcast, that's what, that's what we're here to talk about, right. you know, the health and safety of those young people and be the advocates for them. And the more of us to speak, the more advocates they have. Right. Well, you know, this whole, you know, first episode is, has been just a lot of, of us kind of explaining who we are, where we came from, the program that you've helped or that you have developed and built, how you built it. Um, you know, I came from the program and now how I want to try and help, you know, continue it on. Um, that I would, I would say that's not going to be always the topics of discussion in this. You know, it, it's going to change. We're going to have a lot of athletic trainers on. But it's going to, it may not always be a discussion of, you know, athletic training education or, you know, like we just talked about today with, uh, you know, the landscape of athletic training. But I do think that that might be a recurrent theme with when we do talk to ATs is like, you know, hey, what are, what are you seeing? You know, what do you think of this, this current situation we're in? And I think it'll, it'll be interesting to get different people's different athletic trainers from different part of the country and maybe even at different levels get their input on it get where they're sitting with it yeah and i i'm I'm looking forward to asking you know people that aren't athletic trainers what their experience was with athletic trainers what was their experience did they get the feel that they were cared like we hope we care for our athletes we're gonna have some former athletes on here to see if they felt that way and what they feel like they've gone to and done. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have some, some topics are going to be constantly brought up. Right. Um, And I do hope that culture and program development is something we are able to continue to talk about because I do, because what I've done here isn't about just the education program culture. It's the clinic culture. And you, you would say, well, they're how they're not really they're really synonymous. You really can't tell one from the other, but I'm the constant. Or some schools, the program director, the head athletic mm-hmm. trainer, they're completely separate entities, and what one does might be similar to the other, but they're not the same voice. Right. And you know, I'm so glad we don't have that here. You know, that kind of model here. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited about our guests. I'm excited about our yeah. conversations we're going to have. Absolutely. You know, just some things to expect from the from the podcast going forward. You know, we're going to have a ton of guests. We've got, you know, some, some ATs from different levels, um, whether that be professional or um, high school, some NAI, some, you know, Division I. Uh, we'll touch on different topics in sports medicine, um, you know, similar to what we did today with with the current landscape and athletic training. We might have some some injury spotlights um, where we talk about a certain you know certain injury. You know, Pete's kind of the the ACL guru when it comes to you know rehabbing an ACL. So I'm sure at some point we'll dive into you know some rehab 101 when it comes to different injuries and stuff like that. Um, and you know, there's going to be a lot more stuff that we're still working on trying to flush out. I know an idea we had today was potentially, uh, loading all this stuff up and doing a live podcast from somewhere at NATA convention in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know if that's going to be feasible, but you know, it's something that if we keep this going long enough, it, if we don't do it this year, you know, it might be something we can work out. Yeah. I mean, I would love to at convention be someplace sitting and literally as people walk by, we're hollering at them to come hop on our podcast for five minutes. Absolutely. The hard thing would be, you've been with me at convention. I I can't walk 10 feet without getting stopped to talk to somebody. So during our podcast, people would walk up to say something. That would be a train wreck to edit. Yeah. It would be a train wreck to edit. But now if it was like being recorded, it could be really cool. Like a video. Yeah, Yeah. But the audio part of it would be a complete train wreck. Right. Um, but no, I think it'd be awesome. And I, I hope this thing can take off where we, you know, we, again, we're not in this for views. We're not in this for Spotify to buy us out. We're we're running this for you. No, we're, we're in it so that you and I can feel like we are Pat McAfee or Joe Rogan or, you know, any of them just to, just for an hour that we're recording it, we can feel cool with, with a headset on and a microphone in front of our face. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) This feels pretty sweet. I wish we were in like Joe Rogan's studio. Right. Um, Maybe I need to get like some some red lights or some curtains or something like that. Just to change it up for the days. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Well, we appreciate you tuning in. Um, Like I said, hopefully next week um, we will have another podcast out with our first guest. Just to tease that a little bit. Um, He has been at multiple levels um, from NAIA to... Uh, the professional basketball, professional football, um, and is currently at an NCAA institution, uh, a very big NCAA institution. Um, but we look forward to, to having him on and just get his take on athletic training, how he got to where he's at now. Um, and we've got a lot more guests similar to him. Um, and like, like we've talked about, can't, can't say enough. It's, our 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 booker has has booked an all star cast of of guests. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, a lot of friends, um, most of them are colleagues of some sort. But yeah, we're gonna try and pull some that have no business being on this podcast. <laughs> um, um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll drop Jeff Dugas. Would be an awesome one to have on. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to use the people we've met through right. athlete training and get them on here and talk about stuff and. You know, talk about their 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 passions to again work with athletes, but also we're gonna have coaches and their culture and their 
their dynamic, and I hope we can walk away ourselves better right. out of this. So I'm, I'm excited about it. The topics will be interesting. Right. Um, how Lord knows what direction we're going to go Absolutely. during the moment. Um, and we both are terrible at cutting people off, so we may have guests <laughs> just walk out on us. Right. But, yeah, I'm pumped. Me I'm too. Really pumped. Well, again, we, we appreciate anybody that's checked this out. Uh, hopefully you'll bear with us through the hiccups um, in these first few episodes, whether that's um, – you know, us bumping the mic stand and not editing it out or they're having a bunch of dead space and stuff like that or or any technical issues. We're still figuring it out, uh, but we wanted to we tried to flush it all out early, but we wanted to make sure that we just, you know, rip the bandage off and, and hit record and get something out. You know, once once you get the first one out of the way, it's it's a lot easier after that. So, yep, we got to figure out our taglines. We got to figure out our. <clears throat> We may have some pretty cool just random segments that become like standing segments right. as we flush some things out. But I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about it. All right. Well, we will catch you guys on the next one. And, hey, have a safe day.